your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name's Mike Rankin, lead editor and host of this here podcast, James Fox, my partner. He is the senior writer for Future Sox, also part of SoxMachine.com. Thanks so much for being supporters of the Future Sox Podcast. You guys are awesome. We release episodes every Tuesday thanks to the Blue Wire Network. You can also become a patron. Go to SoxMachine.com if you're interested to support our product to allow us to keep doing what we do. And we really, really, really appreciate your support. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all the listeners who continue to check in here on the Future Sox Podcast because what we do is cover the White Sox organization, not just their minor leagues, but we look beyond the curtain. We see the front office. We talk about the names that are impacting a lot of the player development decisions as well as taking a look at the big league roster. And these crazy times involve a lot of information regarding minor league prospects and major league products because it's an important time for major league organizations to make decisions. We're prepping for next year. We're trying to win this year. We're trying to win next year. And the White Sox are trying to win, period. And James, this is where I want to start the conversation because as much as I would love the White Sox to do as much as they can to acquire whatever they can to compete for World Series this year, I think it's also important to note that the White Sox understand there is a lot of talent within their farm system. Now, in the national scene, the rankings, you know, in terms of prospect rankings, not the best, but let's disregard that for now because internally, the White Sox are casually building up their farm system again, where there are going to be top 100 products. There's already one in Colson Montgomery and highly regarded prospects across the league because their value is within their age, proximity to the big leagues, as well as like within the pitching market that they're starting to establish. They have not a lot of miles in their arms. There's a lot of high end upside there in terms of starting pitching. So this is something where in 2019, you saw a lot of the prospects graduate. This farm system is starting to get better. Yeah, so I, th- you know, I think they're still like once they do rankings and all these, you know, the people do them. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they're still bottom five. I mean, looking at this list, you know, we're going to talk about. It. I think the top ten's a lot better. I just think like it lacks depth. But I also think you know they have guys that are so young that. It just it just takes a little while, right? And the draft pro- like I think they they definitely went into the draft with a plan. We talked about it. They wanted to add pitching. I think they've added a lot of pitching. You know, I think the system looks a lot better on paper. But honestly, it's not just paper. Like we, you know, we talked to Andy Barquette earlier this year, and we reference it quite a lot. Like I think they have a top down hitting philosophy for you know the first time in a while, and guys have guys have made real real growth this year. Um, so that's interesting. But you know, I think that there's like some growth on the pitching side too. Like, we'll, you know, we'll talk about the guys that have been added. You obviously have Norhe Vera and, and Christian Mena, but, you know, there's a couple of the, the recent prep picks, you know, this, that, have, that have really turned it on lately and might be starting to figure things out. So that's where they can really make some hay is if like 
a Jared Kelly or Matthew Thompson like kind of morphs into more of what they thought, right? That's how you like get your system back up into that 10 to 15 range, in my opinion. Um, and we'll see. I think, you know, fall instructs will be important and then we'll see the preseason ranking. I kind of feel like the preseason ranking will be a little bit more uh, important than like the midseason one that we see here pretty soon. So a lot to get to on this podcast. You mentioned a couple of names already. We're going to go over some of the pitching depth that the White Sox have accumulated and starting to develop, as well as monitor Oscar Colas. We want to provide an update there because he's been outstanding. We have some promotions to get to, focus specifically on Jared Kelly and a guy named Luke Schilling. You may have heard of him, but we're going to get into more detail regarding his pathway in the White Sox organization soon. But let's stick it right here, James, because... At The Athletic, Keith Law put out just like a in-season check-in of the top prospects across Major League Baseball. And this is all Major League Baseball. He put 60 names together, and among them is Colson Montgomery. And just outside of it is Brian Ramos. So what does that tell you about the way that the White Sox are developing these players and where they stand in Keith Law's mind? So I think it's interesting. I think the most interesting thing is like I very much respect Keith Law's opinion on on hitting prospects. I think his track record is very strong. So I think that's a positive. You know, he went and saw Colson Montgomery, I think like maybe a month ago. We talked about it on the show. He was very impressed with Colson Montgomery at shortstop and just said that the actions were good. And while he's huge, like he thought, you know, like many people have told us, right? He thinks he's a shortstop and he'll stay at shortstop. You know, he mentioned that he thought he was more power over hit in high school, but he didn't really see him in high school because he wasn't on the showcase circuit. And similar to what Joe, or, uh, Jim Callis told us, like, you know, the power hasn't really come like a ton for Montgomery, but the plate presence has, and it's almost better, right? Because the power is going to come. So the fact that he can handle the strike zone as well as he's handled it, and he's like sticking at shortstop defensively, um, very promising signs for a guy that was, you know, the 22nd pick in the 2021 draft. And he's already up to 43 um, on Keith Law's list. And I think he's like in the 50s on the Baseball America list. Very promising. The other part is interesting because it's Brian Ramos. And I feel like most people kind of thought like, okay, like Lenny and Sosa, kind of a bit of a pop-up prospect. And there's been a lot of talk about Oscar Colas, but it's Brian Ramos is the one that gets noticed by Keith Law. And I guess rightfully so, right? Ramos is... 20 years old at Winston-Salem, playing third base primarily. He's got 17 homers on the year. So he's going to hit, you know, 20 homers um, as a 20-year-old at high A. That's, like, right on track. I'm curious to see if he plays it all at at Birmingham this year. Um, But that's interesting. I mean, generally when these guys end up on one list, they end up on a lot of lists. And we're going to get to Oscar Colas. I think he belongs on some of these lists too. So, you know, maybe you're right off the bat, you're looking at three hitting prospects that are in the top – I don't know, 150 or so prospects in baseball. That's uh, pretty good for a system that was ranked 30 with a bullet coming into the season. Colson Montgomery's on-base streak ended at 50 games in a row this season. You talk about the plate presence. It's awesome. It's just something that we've seen continue to get better and better as he's played at high-level competition in his first full professional season. You mentioned Oscar Colas. Let's dive into Oscar Colas a little bit because – The Brian Ramos angle here is fascinating. It leaves so many doors open to where we could take this conversation because if you think, and I'm speaking to Keith Law specifically, if you think that Brian Ramos is just outside the top 60, then he's probably close to being a top 100 prospect or not included in the top 100 prospect, like you were referencing there, James. 
So that means in his mind, Ramos has to be number two because Oscar Colas isn't a part of it. So then following that logic, who's coming directly after Oscar Colas? If it's Montgomery, Ramos, Colas in no particular order, I mean, if that's your top three, then where do the arms come into play? Because I think in my opinion, that's where the the load, uh, load up of talent occurs for this White Sox system. Before we get to that point, let's talk Colas specifically, because this is a guy who's proven to be able to play center field and he's hitting the daylights out of the baseball right now. So how crazy is it for me to suggest that a guy who's in double A right now, who's had the career already in Cuba, played in Japan, and now he's stateside for the first time. Like this is his first season with the White Sox playing at full season professional baseball here is it unrealistic for me to say that oscar colas can be the opening day right fielder next year uh i think possible i thought you were gonna like ask whether he should be like the deadline edition to come up like right now because that's what you know some people in in this i guess city are are talking about in regards to oscar colas no i don't think it's nuts i mean i think he i think he's probably gonna finish at birmingham and he's gonna be ticketed for charlotte but i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he plays in like the uh, the arizona fall league and like, if he's really good in the Arizona Fall League, like he's going to spring training, and if he's really good in spring training, like I guess there's a chance because there's no reason to like send him down and manipulate service time with a whatever 24 year old Oscar Cola. So yeah, I think it's possible. I think you know, I think it's unlikely that he's a starting right fielder on opening day, but I do think it's likely that he makes his major league debut in 2023 at some point. So yeah, I mean, he's right there. I often ask you this question, and I don't know if you have the stats pulled up, but. 11 games in double A. Uh, do you know what Oscar Colas's weighted runs created plus is? I don't know his WRC plus, but I know his OPS is 1273. Yeah. So 390, 468, 805 with a 228 WRC plus. Now, obviously, 440 BABIP, it, it, you know, he's not going to continue to do this, but, you know, he was on a tear in his first, first 11 games. And, you know, I mentioned it on Twitter and uh, James Fegan quote tweeted me and said something along the lines of like, Colas was like really dealing with that like wrist or hand injury at high A. And, you know, in high A, he hit seven homers and 268 plate appearances. And, he, you know, he had a 126 WRC plus there, hit 311, 369, 475. So I think Oscar Colas is, is real. And, like he's a little bit older. He's 23. He hasn't really cracked any of these lists yet, but I mean, he was in the futures game, looked like he belonged, right? He looks way better in center field than I could have ever imagined. I mean, he's not going to play center field for the White Sox, but you know, how long have the White Sox been looking for left-handed slugger to stick in right field? It's been quite a while. And you know, maybe he can be the guy. It shouldn't stop them from like acquiring that person, but I've been pretty impressed with Oscar Colas. I mean, obviously like I've been talking about Oscar Colas for years, but I had no idea like, you know, that he would be able to come and transition himself stateside like this quickly and actually like look like a guy that might be able to help the major league club in the next 18 months at some point. So it's been, uh, it's been a pretty promising start for him. Yeah. This is about as good as it can get. I think for the white Sox and trying to develop Oscar Colas at this point in his professional career. Cause I want to reiterate, I mean, the fact that he played in Japan is pretty significant before he came out and signed with the White Sox and was a part of the international signing period. I mean, that's a big deal. So he already had some pretty high-level experience as a 19, 20-year-old, and now he's coming on at 23 years old and dominating double-A in his first taste. And it was only 11 games, 
But the consistency, and that's a great point that you brought up from James. I mean, the injury is no small thing that will affect anybody. So it's great to see him put it together, put together the power. And you talk about him being able to play center field. That's an added value. But the fact that he like, arguably has the best arm in the system right now, I mean, that's your right fielder. That plays as a right fielder. And it's one of his best attributes is his throwing arm and his strength. So a lot of positives coming from the Oscar Colas side of things in the White Sox organization. James, before I move on from Colas, if there's anything that you want to add to that, please let me know because i got to talk to you about this pitching staff. There's so many good pitching arms available. It's just with Colas right now, you talk about guys that the White Sox value. I think he's got to be at the top of the list next to Montgomery. Yeah, I would think so. Colson Montgomery, Oscar Colas. I mean, obviously, like, it's it's trade deadline time. Like, for those of you listening Tuesday morning, you know, the trade deadline's later on at 5. My, my guess is, like, the Colson Montgomery and Oscar Colas are on the, like, do not trade list for the White Sox. Like, those are probably their top two guys. That's, I would think, everywhere else. And, you know, we mentioned Brian Ramos. You know, before we get into the pitching, you know, I guess, like, Jose Rodriguez and Lennon Sosa – people everybody knows that we kind of talk about often are in that group somewhere before, before we get into, you know, some of the talk on some of the pitchers that are uh, promising, but also having uh, pretty interesting years so far down on the farm for the White Sox. Yeah. I brought up the pitching because you'll follow, like we were saying, following Oscar Colas and Brian Ramos and, and Colson Montgomery, you figure that the pitchers are next up when we're ranking the list. And this is a good time to share with the audience that Future Sox is working on our midseason list. And you can expect a list co- to come out within the month or maybe a month from now. So we'll get that out to you uh, as we continue to work on it. But, you know, slowly but surely now, James, as we get away from the draft class, 30 players are added to the system. They signed all 20 other draft picks. They added 10 undrafted free agents. And now you're looking at, Highlights of Brian Ramos, credited by Keith Law, who is just outside the top 60 in Major League Baseball prospect rankings. And uh, Oscar, or excuse me, Colson Montgomery is a part of it. Oscar Colas is there as well. So then, all right, before we get into the pitching, let's talk about Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez and Brian Ramos. Those are guys that we like to pair together because they're, they're similar in profile. They play the infield. But one common denominator is that they can all hit. And they're explosive. They're game-changing bats, or at least they're capable of being such. Brian Ramos, I think, might be the most complete bat of the bunch. Do you agree? Of that group, but yeah, I, I think so. I mean, he he's been he's been really good at Winston Salem. I guess my only concern, and it's not even a concern, is just that he's third base. And if he doesn't stick at third base, it's left fielder, first base, right? And then he really, really has to hit. So, you know, he doesn't walk a ton. I think it's a like a 116 or 117 WRC plus at Winston-Salem. But, I mean, he's going to hit 20 homers, you know, in high A as a, as a 20-year-old. He's just so young still. So, yeah, I would definitely say he has he has the, the best bat for sure. Because even like Lenin Sosa – has pop, but he doesn't really walk a ton either. And we've talked a lot about Jose Rodriguez's like approach at every level, right? All he's ever done is hit, but he goes up there looking to hit. He doesn't really walk a ton either. So yeah, I think, you know, I think, I think there's a clear top three. And then that's when the debate starts with some of the other infielders and the bunch of pitching that they've accumulated now since, you know, because of the draft and guys they already had. 
So let's continue this conversation, but first we got to take a break. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you do not need to listen to these ads. We're talking pitching in the White Sox organization. That's right. Can you believe it? Don't go anywhere. You got the Future Sox podcast. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, James, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this top 30 list because we mentioned it earlier in the show already. We're working on our midseason top 30, and then that'll preface the preseason as a lot of things are expected to change this offseason for the White Sox, I can only assume. But right now, we're seeing some development, positive developments from across the board, really. Um, there's a handful of names that I wanted to get to specifically and their arms. So outside of Colas and Montgomery, and now we're including Brian Ramos, thanks to Keith Law's observations. We're looking at guys like Christian Mena. We're looking at Norhe Vera, of course. Love me some Norhe Vera. But Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, Luke Schilling is a name that we have to talk about as well, who's a reliever outside of the starting pitchers. But then you look at the draft picks, Peyton Paulette and Noah Schultz. I mean, a handful of these guys have to be like almost everybody that I just mentioned have to be included in the top 10. But I don't know if we can fit all these guys into those spots because this is, this is pretty exciting. There's some talent here. Yeah. So I think prior to the draft, like Norhe Vera, top pitching prospect in the system. And you know, you and I agreed on that 22 year old Cuban. He's pitching down in, uh, in low Canapolis. He's looked pretty good. He's innings limited. He had a lat injury. You know, I just, I don't know how many innings he's going to top out at, you know, there's there's some reliever risk, you know, just because of, like, the small innings base. But, like, look, I, th- I think Norhe Vera can start. I think he's pretty solid. I just think he's a little bit further away, and he's, you know, a little bit older just because of when they signed him. You know, like, Sean Burke has gotten a lot of love on lists. He's been in Birmingham. He hasn't been quite as good in Birmingham. But, yeah, I mean, he's another, you know, back-end, back-end option that's in Birmingham. So he's close. And then obviously Christian Mena um, has been fantastic this year for the White Sox. I, I like, if you thought that Christian Mena was the White Sox best pitching prospect, like I wouldn't argue with you 19 year old. Um, he was great in Canapolis. The thing with him is though, like there's not a ton of fastball velocity yet. I think it's still like 91, 92. He's getting people out with breaking balls. I mean, like the hitters in low a could do nothing against him. And, you know, he struggled a little bit more in Winston, but he's still been pretty good with the strikeout. So, like, the thing with Christian Mena is just, like, are the White Sox the organization that gets the fastball to play up and gets him into, like, that 95 to 97 range? Or 
would it happen anywhere? Like, you know, he, he needs to be optimized and we'll find out if the White Sox, um, are able to do that. And if they are, he's going to be a fixture like in the top 10 of this list for, uh, for a while. Cause he's, he's super young still. Yeah. I want to focus on the Vera Mena combo because it's hard right now to rank the two of them. Like you're saying, you know, there's some limitation to Christian Mena's game at this point. However, the fastball can tick up. It's got a lot of room to grow, but at 19 years old, he is dominating and he's got multiple pitches that he's able to work well. Norhe Vera, though, James, I think has a higher ceiling, which is, to me, enough to place him over Christian Mena. However, Mena might turn out to be the more consistent, more reliable starting pitcher because of you know the consistency in his delivery and also the stuff that he offers. He's not necessarily a guy like Vera who has power stuff. Mena might be able to pitch better, but I just think Norhe Vera is ahead of Mena because of the higher ceiling. Now, Mena has a high ceiling too, but it's lower than Vera's in my opinion. Am I off there, do you think? No, I think Vera has, has the higher ceiling. I mean, he, he throws harder. He has prototypical size. Um, you know, he has the advanced breaking ball to go with the starter stuff. I mean, it, like for those that haven't seen like the clips, I mean, obviously like White Sox Daily has helped us out a ton. They, they do a great job of sharing some of this stuff. Like Norhe Vera is huge. Um, you know, it just like looks like a big start. He actually looks kind of like Jose Contreras, like when you see him. So, yeah, I mean, I think the only issues are, are just innings. Um, and there's, you know, there's been some walk totals and stuff, but I, I don't really care about that. I mean, he's, he's averaging over 13 Ks per nine. You know, I would like to see him finish at Winston-Salem at least because like at, at the rate we're at, I mean, like Norhe Vera should probably be in Birmingham next year. So yeah, like I would agree with you. Like if you ask me the best, uh, pitching prospect in the system, I'm still going to go Norhe Vera until we see Schultz or Palette, Palette pitch, you know? So I think it's Norhe Vera for now. And then, you know, like the Christian Mena, like the actual wanking, I think can be left open for interpretation. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of room in that top 10 to move guys around, but like, he's definitely like in this group of prospects at this point after like the season that he's had. Now it's the start of things for the White Sox to accumulate pitching, but Pitching they do have now, James, which is really awesome. Now, how they translate well, it remains to be seen, but there's a lot of value there, and there's a lot of optimism. It's better to have guys than to not have guys, and the White Sox finally have brought in some capable talent, and a lot of it came from this year's draft. Twelve of the picks were pitchers, one of them being Noah Schultz, the number one overall, and I should say the first-round draft pick, not the number one overall, but the number one overall pick from the White Sox in the first round. So you think about the inexperience and also straight up, these guys need time. That's something that needs to be stressed as well. Although some other names that are getting a little bit later in their development, and I agree wholeheartedly with the Norhe Vera assessment, our feelings might change if he's not progressing at a rate that we feel is you know, necessary for him to like get the maximum out of his potential. If he's still kind of moping around next year and advanced A at this time, then there's room for concern because that means maybe there's issues, health issues, health-related, or if he's just not straight up pitching well. So, you know, at this point, I'm glad you agree because Vera just looks, just watch him pitch and you'll you'll be blown away. And same with Mena. You got to watch video on Mena as well. But another guy that I wanted to touch on, and I finally got to the point here, James, is Matthew Thompson, 2019 draft pick. Apparently he's getting promoted to double A. Now this is a big deal 
because Matthew Thompson had run into issues across his development. Now, the, losing the 2020 season as a professional is a big deal, so development was stunted a little bit. But finally got to full season in 21, struggled, and now in 22, he struggled to begin the year, but now he's starting to get it back. And the fact that he's going to Birmingham means the White Sox – finally think that he's separating himself from the pack because when he was drafted in 2019 James a lot of evaluators believe that one he was the best pitcher in their system at the time outside of you know the Copex Jonathan Steve or Jimmy Lambert you know separate them for a second Matthew Thompson was the highlight pitcher in 2019 in my opinion noted to be a highly uh, athletic starting pitcher one of the best athletes in the system what do you think of the way Matthew Thompson's turned things around in the White Sox system? So the numbers overall in high A obviously like aren't great. They don't jump off the page at you. And he, you know, he's only 21 years old still. So the promotion to double A is interesting. You know, he's been better though lately. He he's been a lot better. He's been showing his athleticism, more strikeouts. He's been holding his stuff like later in games. That's that's like always been an issue with Matthew Thompson, is that he could like run the fastball up to 97. But then all of a sudden, like in the fourth inning, he's like 91, 92, and he's getting hit around. So, you know, I mean, it, on the season, it's a 470 ERA in high A. You know, like that that stuff doesn't always matter because he's, you know, he's given like strict guidelines from the organization on like stuff to work on. And like, we're just not privy to what those things are, right? So they're obviously happy enough with him to send him to double A, which I think is promising as a 21 year old, he's the, uh, the first of these, you know, the prep pitchers over the, the past few years to, to make it to double A. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We'll see how he does there to, to close out his year, but yeah, he is, he might be the, you know, he was one of the most athletic pitchers in the organization. I don't know if that changes with their recent draft, but you know, it's good to see him turning it around a little bit. So shout out to Matthew Thompson. Also want to give a shout out to Jared Kelly. He was the player of the month in yeah, he's um, the, with, uh, with Annapolis. So he's the Carolina League Pitcher of the Week for July 25th through the 31st. Okay. But he held a 199 ERA and five starts in the month of July. So, you know, like the, the tweet from the Cannonballers said that he's lowered his season ERA in every outing. Um, earned his first career winning decision Sunday like that, you know, that's fine. But he tossed five shutout innings. He had eight strikeouts. You know, I heard from people that were there, the stuff is good. Like he's 95 to 97. It's kind of what was advertised. His plus change, um, that that's his best pitch. You know, he's got to work on the third pitch to get lefties out. And he just needs innings, man. Like we've, we've talked about this with, with Jared Kelly. He just, he just hasn't pitched enough, but you know, maybe we see him at Winston-Salem to close out this year, and then you start him there. But, I mean, like, Jared Kelly was taken in the second round and given, like, number 20 overall pick money for a reason because he was highly touted out of high school. And the, the issues are, you know, well-known. He's missed a lot of time. There's conditioning issues, like, all that. But it seems like Jared Kelly's finally starting to figure it out, too which is very promising for him and for the White Sox with what they've invested in. Yeah, he had shoulder fatigue and some forearm tightness, right? Last year that it was, you know, definitely something to monitor, something that impacted his development, but like you said, just the conditioning 
above everything else outside of staying healthy is one of the things that we're monitoring. And if you look at Jared Kelly and you watch some of the clips or some of the outings that he's putting out in uh, Kannapolis, it looks like he's getting there. It looks like his frame is leaning out a little bit more and he's still got the stuff. Three pitches, fastball slider change, and he's starting to work it more and more in the zone, and he's starting to see success. So thanks for correcting me. It's the player of the week in the Carolina League, but it was awesome across the month of July, a sub-two ERA. Now you'd like to see him, like you said, take the next step in the minors in the White Sox system and get to advanced A outside of single A, low A, Kannapolis. So great stuff on Jared Kelly, exciting stuff on Matthews Thompson. You know, you, we, we already talked about all the pitching depth with Vera and Mena and, and the drafted pitchers, but how about a name that's been a part of the White Sox organization for years? And that's Luke Schilling, James. Luke Schilling is going to Birmingham and he's healthy and he's pitching. This is a guy that could pitch in a major league bullpen today. He's just got to get healthy. Yeah. He needs to get healthy for sure. Like he, uh, you know, he had Tommy John last year. So he was, when he was pitching at Winston-Salem last year, you know, I kind of heard like, this guy's going to be on the fast track. Like he's got the best stuff of any pure reliever um, in the system. And he, you know, he worked his way back from shoulder issues and arm issues. And he was a 15th round pick out of Illinois back in 2018. And he was just hurt like a ton, but he's got like tremendous stuff. And it's, de- it's definitely bullpen only um, for sure right now. But you know, if he does the job, I mean, apparently he, you know, he threw three innings uh, in the complex league, like on his way back. And then he threw two and two thirds in high A, it looks like, um, you know, with, with too many walks and a couple innings, whatever. But so he, yeah, apparently he's going to Birmingham and, the thing with Luke Schilling is, like at this point, 24-year-old Luke Schilling, like if he's really good in Birmingham, we could see him in Chicago this season if they continue to have issues. Like the, there's really nothing holding this guy back. And like, look, relievers are tough to rank on a 30. We'll debate him. We'll talk about it. This is a guy to keep an eye on as like all of a sudden, like, you know, Luke Schilling's added to the 40-man roster and he's like in Chicago. Don't be surprised because the only thing that was holding this guy back was health and he's... You know, he's healthy right now. James Fegan wrote like an excellent article on him last year that was like really good. And then I think he got hurt and had Tommy John like right after like that happened. So, but now he's back. He'll be interesting to follow the rest of the year. Yeah. 2018 round draft pick, like you said, and the White Sox committed to this kid, despite all the issues that he's had, all the injuries that he's had, they believe in him. So now we're going to see what he can do when he's healthy. That's really exciting. James, as we look ahead to what we have to offer at futuresocks.com, draft season, we're moving away from it. We're, we're starting to get into the midseason rankings, and we're preparing for some turnover, I guess we could say, in, in their farm system because, look, the cost of doing business, the fact that the White Sox are competing, there's going to be guys in and out. And we'll see what they decide to do this offseason. We'll we'll react to the trade deadline as, like we mentioned, you know, we'll, we'll look back at what the White Sox did this year to try to compete because, James, they have to. This team is is in the middle of their window, whether they're playing like they are or not. The organization has committed themselves to this core. They've invested the highest payroll in the history of the franchise into this roster So they're not just about to lay down, but they're also in a unique spot. We talked about this at the beginning of the show. 
should this team compromise some of their their best talent in the farm system for a chance to compete this year and next year. It's a very challenging position to be in as a general manager because obviously you're good enough to win this division. Yet, how realistic is it that this team can compete for a World Series with what they have? So is it worth getting rid of a top five prospect in your system considering how difficult it was to climb yourself out of the mud, so to speak, of uh, having such a lack of talent. I think it's just a fascinating conundrum that we can follow throughout this week, react to as things continue to play out, and then look back next week as to how things uh, ultimately fell. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that it's a conundrum just because, like, I feel like when you're in your window, like, you should be trying to win. Like, I think every team has guys that they won't trade. And, you know, I think, like, one of the issues I've been seeing is, like, especially on social media, Right. Like everybody like makes offhand comments about how the White Sox have the 30th ranked system in baseball and this and that. But then I see some of those same people are like worried that the White Sox are going to mortgage the future at this deadline. And it's like, well, you just told me they had no future. So like, I mean, you know, like I don't I don't really look. They've made deals for a long time with systems that are perceived as not great and I don't think like some of the top guys that people have heard of are going anywhere, but I mean, the White Sox should firmly be in the, like the rental market, you know, for sure. I think one of the big issues they have is that a lot of the prospects that we talk about that are super interesting, right? Can't headline a big deal for like somebody with control but they're too good to trade for like a rental. That's where like, I'm curious to see what the White Sox do at this deadline to see like what they'll part with. Right. I mean, the 40 men roster considerations are another one. I've been talking about it all year. Some of the guys we've talked about, you know, Jose Rodriguez, Lenin Sosa is already on the 40, but Jose Rodriguez, Ramos, Yobert Sanchez, like those guys need 40 man protection. If you look around baseball teams, trade guys, that need 40 man protection in the off season all the time, because they know that they have roster crunches coming. And while they like those players, it's like, okay, like we'll trade these guys for somebody for our big league roster or get something younger because it's just like part of the process. So I think that makes it interesting. You know, look, I don't think the white Sox are going to go out and make some sort of massive splash, right. Where we're turning on the microphone and doing some emergency podcast because they traded their like number one prospect. But I mean, you know, I think playoff appearances are sacred. And like, while you can say, like, I don't think it's likely that this team wins a world series and, you know, like we shouldn't be banking on like the exception or, you know, instead of the rule, like the Braves last year, like, I think it's pretty clear at this point, like get in, anything can happen. That's why the, that's why like playoff appearances are sacred. They're two back. They should be buying, you know, we'll, we'll see what they decide to do ultimately. Yeah. With that said, it's, it just feels to me that the White Sox aren't willing to part ways with their top guys, and you're absolutely right. It's it's hard to headline any package without a major league ready guy at the top of your prospect chain, or even a major league player at the big league level already that's young enough, cost controlled, to net a guy like Luis Castillo. Like I wonder what the the offers on the table were if the White Sox were even involved in that, and if the Reds were entertained by the White Sox offer. Because you're right, it's hard, but it's also you know, pretty significant trading away a 19-year-old who, you know, in one year can make such a leap that he's already on your major league forecast. So 
we'll see. We're going to react to it next week. As, as you're listening to this, you'll probably already know the outcome. So um, give us some time. But we will talk about where the White Sox stand post-trade deadline. We talk this week about where the White Sox stand in their top 30. We're getting ready for the midseason top 30 at futuresox.com. So that's something that you can keep an eye on the listener Thanks so much for supporting us here at the Future Sox Podcast. We're going to continue every Tuesday for you, bring you White Sox content, part of the Blue Wire Network and SoxMachine.com. James, final thoughts before we say goodnight for this episode? Yeah, so I think just like one more point on that and like the trade deadline and, you know, we're not going to get into hypothetical trades, obviously, but like when you start looking just at the landscape, right, and you asked Jim Callis about this and like I think teams that are selling generally – like want young players, right? And I think like there's a chance that Juan Soto gets moved here and there's all sorts of rumors about where. And and I just feel like when you're the Nationals, if you're going to trade a Juan Soto, I feel like your window is not right now, right? So like you're probably targeting a team for prospects. Like I just like, like do you want multiple young big leaguers? Like if you're going to be bad anyway, like probably not. So I think like philosophically, like that stuff is always interesting to me. The White Sox could be in the market for a starting pitcher. And, you know, you talk about Luis Castillo. We saw that Jerry DePoto, like, might have messed up the entire market by trading what he traded, right? I mean, that's a massive haul for a year and a half of Luis Castillo. And I would argue that that's, like, a good trade for both teams. Like, that's that's what Seattle should be doing, but the Reds got a lot. You know, you look at the, the Frankie Montes deal, like, relative to the White Sox, right? We've heard him mentioned with the White Sox. Well, the Yankees traded like a lefty starter, Ken Waldachuk, who's, you know, not a huge prospect name, but I mean, he's a top 100 guy who's a close to the majors left-handed starter. The White Sox just like don't really have that right now. So, you know, that's just like some insight into like, hey, could the White Sox have made this trade? Well, not if that's the demographic of player the A's are looking for, no. But like the White Sox just added a bunch of college pitchers to their system. So, you know, maybe at this time next year or the year after, that's why you do things like this, right? Like I think the system's going to be a lot better going forward. And I think the White Sox are in a window. So, you know, we'll revisit these conversations. But, you know, I, I think that's another reason why you, you know, you add college pitching as much as they did in this draft because you can never have enough pitching, but you could always trade it too. That's James Fox. He's the senior editor at Future Sox. Follow him on Twitter at JamesFox917. Always great to talk to James. Provides one-of-a-kind insight. Appreciate everything that he does for us at Future Sox. My name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox podcast. The White Sox farm system starting to get back together. I like the direction Mike Shirley, the director of amateur scouting, is taking on in the draft process, as well as the White Sox continuing to... Uh, assert themselves in the international market. It's part of the reason why the White Sox have some of their top 10 talents um, filled up is because of the international market. So we'll continue to monitor this. But until next week, thanks so much for listening. The White Sox, well, they're trying to win the World Series, I guess. We'll see how that goes. We'll talk to you all next time.